Good morning, brothers. Thank you, Russ, and thank you, everyone, for allowing me to speak to you this morning. My name is Keith Allen, as Russ said. And when, when Russ contacted me about what the cross means to me, I've been thinking about something that's been on my heart for a few months. And the cross means many things to me, but I want to share this morning that the cross, I share about God's ultimate uh, restorative power, God's ultimate restorative power. We'll see what that means with the scriptures, what I'm going to talk about. Now, for some of you who don't know me, I'm, I'm an attorney in New York, uh, soon to be in New Jersey, and one of the areas which I practice is guardianship. And a guardian, as I'm sure we know, is a person, is defined as a person who has, the, who has the care of another person's personal needs and their property, right? That's basically it. And basically, if in New York or any other state, if you want someone to get a guardian, you petition the court, you ask the court, you bring a case, and you have to show that a person can take care of their person, personal needs and or property needs. And if they can't do it, uh, and also if, if that inability uh, poses a danger to themselves or others, right? Now, it's interesting, and I meet other attorneys in court or do my practice, a lot of certain attorneys say, this is God's work. And it caught me off guard because I'm like, well, is your personal injury work not God's work or your contract work or criminal? You know, for me, it's if you're doing God's will, it's all God's work. But I see why they say that because guardian is you're standing in the shoes of another person. You're living their life for them, right? And sometimes you don't get paid, it's sacrificial work. So attorney guardians like me are like kind of the Christians, if you will, the legal community. And it, it brings me to a quick story, a quick example. Uh, one of my wards is a bishop and a 94 year old man uh, who is my ward, meaning a person who's receiving my care as a guardian, is about $4 million in real estate assets. And he doesn't want the guardianship. He doesn't like me. Uh, he subverts just about everything I do. He yells at me, calls me a thief, a liar accused me of treating him bad. He's prideful. I mean, a whole bunch of other things, right? A few months ago, I was talking to him. And after the call, I got so stressed out. I started complaining, getting very angry with God, complaining about my life, even though God's brought me so far. Why are certain things so hard? Why is the bitch so difficult? I wasn't really respectful to God. It's one thing to vent, but it's another thing to do to blame God for everything, right? To treat him bad. And, um, you know, God just told me, he said, first, he consoled me. He said, first, I understand your frustration, Keith. It is hard. And I want you to stick it through because I want you to learn more about me. Because what you're doing as a guardian is kind of like what I do for you. And secondly, uh, as far as the bishop, Keith, you act just like him. You know, you're very prideful, disrespectful, disobedient, ungrateful. Yet God, cared, I, I cared enough for you to send your son to die for you. Okay. And you know, I know things are hard, but I need you to trust in my plan. And you can't follow me kicking and screaming. We can't follow God kicking and screaming. We have to be able to defer to him and understand uh, what he's doing in our lives. So I want to start, start out with Galatians 3, 23 to 25. I'm going to read it real quickly here. It says, before coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up into the faith that was to come would be revealed. So that the law was our guardian until Christ came, we might be justified by faith. Now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. I'm going to go to Galatians 4, 1 through 7 real quick. It says, what I'm saying is as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. 
the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental force, spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son to your hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So this means a lot to me because I love when the Bible incorporates legal concepts, so guardians, trustees, estate concepts, and so forth, because I can relate to it as an attorney. And I want to compare God's guardianship system to the world's guardianship system as I experience it in my practice. And this will show, I think, God's ultimate restorative power and how we don't have that power that he has, um, which is really emphasizing the cross. So you see verse two and three, as I just read, you can look at it hopefully in front of you right now, is that in God's guardianship system, we are wards of the guardian. We, we were wards, excuse me, of the guardian that was the law, the law that he gave Moses, right? And we were also slaves to our sin. In the world system, in legal guardianship, the ward is, is really a slave to the incapacity. If you see uh, incapacity of people, it's sad. It's not a, it's a serious thing. People with dementia, certain mental infirmities, they just cannot do the things they used to do. They just can't. And the guardian is there to serve them, right? In verse five, right, it talks about uh, God frees us through the cross, that until that set time, we had this law as a guardian, but Christ freed us from this guardianship to full legal standing, it says. It talks about adoption to sonship. That was a, Greek, that was a legal term referring to the full standing of adopted male in Roman culture, right? We have full legal standing now if we're in Christ, right? But in the world system, Wards rarely get free from a guardianship. The only way you know you get out of guardianship in the world is your own death. That's sad. That's not hopeful. Or if you're still alive, make an appeal to the court. But that's very rare. In verse six, it says, because you are a son, so I just so we got the legal standing of his sonship, right? Because we are sons, another benefit in God's system, that guardianship is now gone. We are redeemed and free from the law guardian says. We're free. That's what Paul just said. Not only that, we get benefits. We get the Holy Spirit and God gives us the strength to live for him. And we not, you know, God doesn't force it on us, right? He wants us a genuine, real loving relationship that we can engage in. So we get the gift and the ability to choose to accept him and live for him and live that full life he talks about in 1 John. Now, in the world, once a guardian is removed, guess what happens, brothers? Another one just comes in his or her place because the courts don't want for someone with a lack of ability to go out there and do so, uh, to, to go out there and be vulnerable and get exploited, right? Or if a ward has some ability to do something that is dangerous to him or herself or others, so they just keep replacing it. But in God's system, we just said that it's eradicated. It's it's gone, right? And these wards in the world system, they they never get their independence. It's it's sad. It it never comes back, and they don't have the ability to engage in society that they once had. And in verse seven, lastly, it says, we are no longer slaves to our sin, but heirs to his promises and the ability, with the ability now to engage in that relationship with, with God, right? But in the world system, when I'm thinking in, in capacity, I think about darkness. It, it's, it's very similar in a sense, we both, in, you're, you're in darkness and capacity, you know what's going on. So in the world system, we're still slaves to our inabilities if we've got a guardian. Because we can't do anything. We no longer had that gift of independence. 
But in God's system, God redeemed that gift. God, God redeemed us from our spiritual death so we can engage and have a true relationship with him. And I want to end with Ephesians 4, 17, 18. And real, real quick back to the bishop before I close. You know, I believe the bishop has some capacity to know what's going on. He knows what's happened to him right now in this court proceeding with me and another guardian as his, as his guardians. He doesn't like him. But I believe instead of accepting the path that God has for him, he's resisting this guardianship and what I'm trying to do for him. And there's some pride there because he's losing his independence. And I get that. I can understand that. Right? I'm sensitive to that. But in, in Ephesians 4, 17, 18, it says, Paul writes instruction for Christian living in some headings. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the fatality of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So Paul is talking about how the ignorance and the hardened hearts are futile. They're pointless, in other words, for Christian living. You can't live in, act in your old ways and follow God. It's a contradiction. And that's why I feel how the bishop acts towards me and how we and I can act towards God. As I said before, we can't follow God kicking and screaming. It just doesn't work. So brothers, here's some thoughts and some questions as I close. For those of you who are saved, we have a relationship with Jesus. Let's live our, live, our, live our life like our minds have been restored. Like we're no longer slaves to sin because the scriptures say we are. There is no more guardian. It's been eradicated based on what Christ did in the cross. He took our place. Otherwise, we would have done it right? If we don't do this, if we don't act like we're restored and saved, we make following God harder or impossible. For those who are thinking about learning more about Jesus, think about the ultimate restorative power of the cross, the only thing that can save you from yourself. Also, if you are, if you are in a relationship with Jesus today, is there anything going on in your life that's preventing you from seeing the freedom you have in Christ, seeing his ultimate restorative power? Are you resorting back to your old ways when you were ignorant and hardened your heart towards God and in darkness? If you do not have a relationship with God today or you want one, I invite you to study the Bible. Find out more what it means to have a relationship. How do you get into a relationship? What does it entail? Ask the person that invited you. Study to see if you have a darkened understanding of God. If you do, there is a way out. It's not the guardian of the law. It's Christ himself. Amen. Thank you, brothers. Amen. Thank you, Keith. Uh, just going to switch up my view here. but. Good morning, brothers. Uh, you know, I really appreciate everything that Keith shared. Um, it's funny how the spirit works because I feel like he was speaking very much about being freed. Um, and for me, I have one point, one point alone. It's rise. And I say that because I know once we feel freed from whatever it is, we feel that much more empowered, inspired, etc., to actually rise and do what we need to do. Um, I'm going to read a passage and then I'm going to share a little bit about uh, my life the past couple years. It will be brief, but, uh, for those who can turn, if you could go to Matthew verse 26, it's a garden of Gethsemane. We know this passage, but starting verse 36 says, uh, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And it began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watching me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. 
yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you may not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So for those who don't know me, I grew up, I grew up in a church. I got baptized when I was 15, I'm 32 now, and I've been faithful since. That's totally by the grace of God. Um, but over the past like two years have definitely been the biggest storm that I've had to endure as a disciple, as a person um, in August of 2020. I had a really bad ankle injury playing basketball. Uh, I didn't get off of the crutches until December. So like four months later, very atypical. I, two weeks later, got injured again, just by a freak accident and ended up on crutches, not weight bearing again. And I just, from that point on, just was not getting better. In fact, by March of 21, I had a complex complex regional pain syndrome. It's a neurological condition, but point is it made my recovery a lot worse. Um, and in April of 21, I actually had to get surgery on the ankle because I just wasn't improving at all. Uh, and what was supposed to be like a three month recovery ended up being a lot longer. It felt like eternity. Uh, that was in April. It wasn't until September that I got out of like the black boot that maybe you've seen people on crutches in. Um, I didn't get rid of the crutches until February of last year. And then I got rid of the cane in June of last year. Um, so a lot of dates, but my point is that literally for a year, I was stuck in bed. I want to say 95% of the time, but honestly, I feel like it was a lot more. Um, and I understand like there's worse things that happen in life, but that was my reality. That was my struggle, my cross, et cetera. Like that's what I was going through. And the reality is like being stuck in bed does affect someone. Like I was very much affected emotionally, mentally, um, ended up being severely depressed. Uh, I remember very vividly to this day, August, sorry, and the summer of 21, just honestly not wanting to live anymore. Um, and that's like a very dark place for me um, that I'm still continuing to heal from if I'm honest, but I just, I didn't, I didn't see any point. I was super faithless. I was fighting, but I was super faithless. I literally felt like I wasn't gonna walk again because with every progress I had, it was a setback, setback, setback. And it was just, it was crazy. Um, I mentioned that because I remember this passage and like I how Jesus felt sorrowful to the point of death. Like he understood me. Even at a time where I felt like other people maybe didn't fully understand me, he understood me. And this is also a time when I had just graduated um, being coming a nurse practitioner, I had just gotten my dream job, which obviously I couldn't do because of my condition. So literally I just felt stuck in so many ways um, until eventually like, uh, you know, i stopped, you know, I started to be able to walk slowly. It took very, a lot of months. I started to climb out of the pit, the grave that I was in, 
the mental, like it was just hard, but I started like, or rather God helped me to start to get out of that. Um, I mentioned this passage because I just see Jesus connecting with me. Um, what stands out to me was when he went back to the disciples and he said, rise, let us go. It sticks out to me for two reasons. One, this wasn't like Jesus. It took work for Jesus to get to that position. And it reminded me that it's okay for me, likewise, especially with Christ, to take work, to take time to get to that position, to be resolved, to actually say, okay, it's time to rise, it's time to get up. Um, but two, because he doesn't just like leave me and say, all right, this, this now's your hour. Now it's time to do X, Y, and Z, go and do it. Rather, he says, rise, let us go, meaning he goes with me. And I very much felt and experienced Jesus through all that process of, of going with me, you know? And the reality is that I realized that although I was stuck in bed for a year physically, um, I had been stuck for a very long time. Um, yeah, sorry. I have been stuck for a very long time. Um, stuck in a lot of like just insecurities, um, shame, guilt, a lot of sin, unrepented sin, a lot of lukewarmness. Um, doesn't matter if I got baptized in 15. There was just a lot of things I was stuck in. Um, mental health issues, just even before this deep depression, I had stuff like just a lot I was stuck in. And I have seen God likewise tell me okay just like i helped you to walk again physically i'm going to help you to walk again in all these other areas sorry um so why am i saying all this to conclude why am i sharing this with you because the reality is i don't know all of you guys individually but what i do know is that you too as men as human have your ways of, of feeling either stuck feeling like powerless, etc. But my encouragement to you guys is that Jesus, he knows what you're feeling. In fact, he went through the cross to prove it to you. And he's right there with you. I don't know if that means what exactly that looks like for you. But I do know that Jesus is likewise telling everyone here as men, as mighty warriors, that it is time to rise. If that's dealing with insecurities, rise, go do what you need to do. Talk to the people you need to talk to. If that means confessing unrepent or unconfessed sins, go and do that. If it means mental health, that means going and getting a therapist. If it means um, being stuck in the past, thinking like your best days as disciples are behind you, which is totally not true. That means going and getting up, looking to the future. You know, if it means um, feeling lonely, it means getting up, and going and spending time with people. If it means being faithless, it means getting up and get down on your knees and pray. Like it's just, the possibilities are endless, but my encouragement again to you guys is in light of the cross, in light of Jesus, what he went through for us, to rise, to go with him to whatever he is not only calling you away from, but calling you towards. I hope that makes sense. Um, 
and I want to pray now for the community, okay? Thank you. Father God, just thank you so much for today. Thank you for um, God, just the way that you know us individually, you know, the struggles that we go through, Lord. I thank you so much that you went through the cross, not just for the, the forgiveness of our sins, but also just to connect with us on such a deeper level, Lord, and to give us the, the motivation, the resolution, the power to actually be different, Lord, and, and to heal. Father, I want to pray for this cup, I'm sorry, this bread and this cup that represents, it represents your blood and body. Um, I pray that not just today, but this week, that we can really reflect on all the things that you have taken us through, the storms, the hard times, Lord, and be just inspired again to do the things that you're calling us to do in this season, Lord. I love you, and I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.